Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. It's great to have you tuned into the program. And see that Jeremiah's got a very simple message and it's this, repent, repent. In fact, I could, I could say it this way, repent, and I'd probably be closer to the mark. Repent. It's a firm message from God and Jeremiah spoke it to the Israelites. Turn from your hypocrisy, your greed and your immorality. Those things were not just the sins of the Israelites either. The same message comes to us today. Repentance, that's our focus as we join Dr. Corbett again in Jeremiah session 9. Let's pray as we look at this incredible portion of scripture. We're just going to look at the first four verses of Jeremiah chapter 4. This is our ninth session in looking so far at the book of Jeremiah and we want God to speak to us so let's invite him to do so. Father as we open up our Bibles I pray that we'll open up our hearts and our minds and allow you to speak to us. Lord I know the devil will not like what your word has to say to us today. Father I know that the idols that have crept into some of our lives will not be impressed with how they are exposed today. But Father, I pray that it would be your magnificent grace, your phenomenal radiance and your beauty that will become far more alluring and attractive to us, your people, than anything the devil or this world has to offer. Lord, speak to us now, we ask. In the wonderful name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Here we are looking at this section and we could really look at this and and see that Jeremiah's got a very simple message and it's this repent repent in fact I could I could say it this way repent and I'd probably be closer to the mark repent so we're looking at the first four verses of Jeremiah so I remind you Where we've looked at so far is that we've looked at how God has called Jeremiah. We've looked at how God first used Jeremiah. You remember initially, we were talking before about developmental stages. Initially, Jeremiah was seeing and hearing. Then he went from hearing, from seeing to hearing. He began to be gripped by the word. We read that in Jeremiah chapter 2. Now, a word like repent, Jeremiah is going to use the word return. Same idea. A word like repent can be used by well-meaning Christians in a very harsh way. And it can come across very judgmental. It can. So here's one street evangelist who's got this board, and I don't know if you can see the details. Let me, let me read some of the details on this board. This is someone who just set up a, like a sandwich board on a street, and it says, why do you, heart, that is, love the devil? And he's listed all the people that uh, this, you know, this street evangelist is, is trying to reach, and it's got homos, druggies, gangsters, feminists, Mormons, Buddhists, drunkards, Baha'is, Catholics, wife beaters, atheists, uh, New Ages, Democrats, uh, what's the other one? Environmentalists, PKs, which is, I guess, pastors' kids. Uh, some of them need to repent. Abortionists, uh, effeminate men. Oh, what? 
racists, uh, Scientologists. Josh, you listening to this one? Emos. <laughs> Government recipients, adulterers, fornicators, thieves, gamblers, Muslims, Jehovah's Witnesses, perverts, idolaters, pagans, loudmouth women. Look, if you start to sense the conviction of God, just I'm just saying go with it. <laughs> Agnostics, liars, freeloaders, liberals, and this is my particular favourite, highfalutin, sophisticated swine sports nuts. <laughs> Repent and believe in Jesus, it says down the bottom. Now, I don't know how many converts... A sandwich board like that in the street is actually going to win to the Lord. <laughs> so sometimes, you know, our message is repent. It is. When John the Baptist came, the very first word he uttered publicly was repent. The very first word Jesus uttered after he was baptized was repent. Jesus calls people to repent. John the Baptist, who announced that Jesus was coming, the first thing he said was, you need to repent to receive Jesus. When Jesus sent the disciples out to preach, he sent them out to preach a gospel of repentance. So repentance is something intrinsic. It's intrinsic to the Christian message. So we need to figure out, firstly, can it be said in a nice way? Can it be said in a nice way? I think we're probably going to come to the conclusion that it might be, but it's probably always going to be offensive. Imagine after the service, you're having a coffee and you share with someone that, you know, you've been having some battles in your life and, you know, you've let your Bible reading slip and you haven't been praying like you should have been. And the person, you know, probably one of our home group leaders, because they're trained to be caring, one of our home group leaders says, well, sounds like you've been sinning and you need to repent. I mean, how many of us are going to receive that as a caring word? Probably not many of us. We're going to see it as judgmentalism. So it is with great apprehension that I approach these four verses, knowing that they all deal with repentance. Because there's something in each of us, including this preacher, that says, if you're going to tell me to repent, you can just hurry up and get on with it because I'm more interested in something else that doesn't come that close to where my heart is. So that's one way we could attempt to encourage people to repent. <laughs> Let's look at the first verse. If you return, O Israel, declares the Lord, to me you should return. We're just going to ponder this for a moment. If you, if you are going to return, that which is the word repent, if you're going to repent or return, O Israel, declares the Lord, you should return to me. To me, you should return. So uh, uh, repentance is, is literally this. It, it's, it's actually, um, uh, I think the Greek word is metaneo, which was what the Roman centurions would yell out when giving marching orders to their um, squadron of soldiers, a legion of soldiers. So they'd be marching along, da, 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 and then he'd yell out, repent, and they'd have to stop, 
turn around 180 degrees and march back to him. That's repent. So you can see the picture here. The prophet is saying, there's God. You have done this and you are doing this. And I now call you to repent. Stop what you're doing. Turn around and come back to God. And I guess the language is that it's possible to stop and just turn to another God. You could stop what you're doing and just do something worse. We were in a church recently where, and this is every preacher, take note of this. The preacher confessed that the Lord had been dealing with him about sin in his life. And that the Lord broke that off his life and moved him to a different location. The sin, the particular sin in his life at that time was fishing. It's very easy to make that a sin. Sinners fish. It's... (laughs) And this pastor said it was an idol in his life. And so the Lord had to break it off his life and send him to a church way inland, as the, as the pastor there. And then he proudly said, so I looked for another hobby. And it, he started to share about his new idol. And everyone was laughing. It was funny. And I didn't find that funny. It's possible to repent, but not repent back to God. It's possible to repent in a different direction. And God is saying, if you're going to repent, to me, Repent. Turn back to me and repent. And you know, the prophet Jeremiah has been saying that the heart of God is one of of a husband toward his new bride. His new bride has on their wedding night walked out in her wedding dress and gone after whoever she could find. This is the picture Jeremiah gives in chapter 3. How could a bride not realise she's a bride when she's wearing a wedding dress, the prophet asks. So we get a picture here of the heart of God. Now God is saying, if you return, O Israel, declares the Lord, to me you should return. Now, Now look at this. If you remove your detestable things from my presence. So this is one of the things that we're going to see about repentance. I think there's three things here that God is identifying that are necessary for repentance but I want you to notice detestable Jeremiah uses this on about another two occasions Ezekiel uses it as well it's mentioned in Hosea chapter 10 Hosea was around about this time just just before Jeremiah and he talks about the sin that the people were entertaining was what, what he very deliberate use of the word detestable and and he said detestable things bring shame to people bring shame to people so he he says this in the last part of verse one if you remove your detestable things from my presence and do not waver do not waver i think when when i see somebody who has who who has struggled in their christian walk and is still prepared to do what a Christian should do to love God, I think they deserve a medal. I think they deserve a round of applause. I think someone who is prepared to get back in the ring for the next round, even when they've taken what they think are too many punches, but they're not prepared to waver. They're not prepared to give up the fight. 
you actually realise in those moments, God is in your corner. God is in your corner. And God is going to get you through. Do not waver. Okay. I want you to see something about repentance here. Because I am of the opinion that we need to repent. We need to repent. The first thing the prophet has already said to the people in the previous chapter is that they are to, if you'll only acknowledge your guilt, if you will only acknowledge your sin, acknowledge it. I don't know if you've ever been coached in how to apologise. As someone who does too much marriage counselling, this comes up all the time. And when I prepare a couple, and I'm going to teach them how to have a good argument. Have I mentioned that to you? I haven't. Oh, well, that's where we're going. I'm going to teach you how to have an argument. Because whenever I say that to a couple, when I'm preparing them for marriage, couples know how to fight. But they may not know how to argue. And a part of arguing is understanding the other person's point of view getting to know where they're at. And if, you've, if you have crept into the arena of fighting with them and you've, you've hurt them, you need to hear that and you need to, here's this horrible word, apologise. And I, I'm staggered at how many, how many people are so resistant to apologising because it seems like their pride prevents them from doing so. Now, I say that as an expert in pride. I know what I'm talking about, unfortunately. And pride stops us from repenting. It stops us from apologising. In relationships, we need to repent. In our relationship with God, we need to know how to repent. It's a continual thing. We, know, we need to know how to seek forgiveness. I was talking before with um, someone before the service that when you become a Christian, you come into a relationship with God. But sometimes the fellowship with God gets strained. We neglect things. We do things. We, we compromise things. And while the relationship is there, I believe that when you are born again, you are born again for eternity. But your fellowship with God may not be what it should be. And it's at those points that we need to come to God and apply 1 John 1, 8 and 9. God, I've sinned. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And the Bible's promise is that if we do that, he will cleanse us. From all unrighteousness, he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I think that's really important. So the first thing we have to do when we repent, the prophet's already told the people, is acknowledge your guilt. Acknowledge your sin. And I, can, I could probably share with you more how not to do this. And, and just let me give you an overview. Um, yes, God, I sinned, but it wasn't my fault. Anything you say after that is irrelevant because you've just told God you're not sorry at all. Yes, God, I did it, but I wouldn't have if she hadn't made me. Mate, go away. 
And when you're really prepared to own your sin and your guilt, come back and let's do business with God. But don't waste my time. So that's how not to do it. How to apologise. I remember Winston Churchill was uh, ridiculing someone on the, uh, the, the House of Commons and I think he called him a fat-headed, empty-headed imbecile. And the Speaker of the House could take it no more. He said, Mr Churchill, will you please apologise to the Honourable Member? Mr Churchill got up and said, yes, Mr Speaker, I am so sorry that the Honourable Member is a fat-headed, empty-headed imbecile and sat down. That, that's not an apology. <laughs> and when, when we say, well, God, I'm really sorry for this sin, but if you hadn't put that extra piece of cheesecake in the fridge, I wouldn't have eaten it. That's a revelation for those of you who don't think eating too much cheesecake is a sin. But sometimes we don't own our sin. And the prophet said, will you confess your sin? Will you acknowledge your guilt? It's hard for us to do it. It's really hard. But it's the first step in repentance. And I actually think John 16 verse 8 gives us an indication that when the Holy Spirit starts to work in our lives, it's one of the things that the Holy Spirit will begin with. He will convict us of sin and our lack of righteousness. We feel it. So the first step in repentance is acknowledging our sin and guilt. The next step is to turn our back on it. Turn our back on it. It's to stop doing it. If you know, if you know that something's wrong, stop it. In Jesus' name. If you know it's wrong and you don't feel you can stop it, ask God for help. If you know it's wrong. Too many of us try to repent in our own strength and we don't realise that repentance itself is a grace. It is something God enables. I need his grace to repent. It says, I think in Acts 13, that when, that when Paul preached, God gave the gift of repentance to some of his hearers. I need God's grace to repent. I think we all do. Stop what you're doing. Turn your back on your sin. Begin to hate it. Do you pray that God will give you a hate for sin? Do you pray that God will cause you to, here's the word that Jeremiah uses, detest. I don't know how you hate, but I'd really be interested to know how you detest. Because I think it's a kind of a couple of levels beyond hate. Detest that thing. Thirdly, turn to the Lord in humility. Turn to the Lord in humility. This is difficult to do in marriages. Where we say, yes, it was me. Yes, I started the argument. Yes, I kept it going. Yes, I'm sorry. I did that. I let you down. I said that. I shouldn't have said that. I didn't do that. I should have done that. No excuse. I'm sorry. And then husbands, please, because it's mostly husbands who get this wrong. Uh, let, let your wife know you know a pain so a good apology would go like this yes i did it or didn't do it whatever it was yes 
It was me. I own this. It's not your fault. It's entirely my fault. And I now see how much I've hurt you. And I think repentance toward God captures some of the pain of God's heart. You see, we think sometimes sin is just breaking the laws of God, but really it's breaking the heart of God. And when you're more concerned about law than heart, it's easy to sin. But if you can capture God's heart, you'll hear his sigh and you'll be more inclined to respond. Turn to the Lord in humility. That takes humility to say that. It takes humility for a husband to say, I was wrong. I'm sorry. I've hurt you. I can see that now. And that humility is followed up by turning around. The husband who says, okay, I'm sorry, I won't leave my dirty laundry on the bedroom floor anymore, had better not leave his laundry on the bedroom floor anymore. That's repentance. Stop what you're doing, turn around, change your lifestyle. This is what God requires. Now, the prophet Jeremiah, in speaking to the people of Israel, we, we read in verse 2, um, and, and if you swear, uh, as the Lord lives, in truth and in justice and in righteousness, then nations shall bless themselves in him, and in him they shall glory. Now, there's, there's a sense here that Israel needed to repent of something. Because I think if we were to look at Israel at this point, we'd see a whole bunch of people going to the temple, we'd see a whole bunch of people doing all the festivals and all the sacrifices, and we'd stand back and go, well, they look pretty good to me. But here's what the prophet has been saying to these people. This is what they needed to repent of. Notice some of these things. Firstly, false religion. You see, they were, they were taking more pride in the fact that they looked religious. The high priests wore his garments. The priests wore their garments. They looked religious. And Jeremiah, a priest himself, but with a heart for God, says, Woe unto you! You're all full. You look like you belong to God. You look like you're worshipping. Woe unto you who are just religious. God is sick of your religion. And the prophet is saying, repent. Repent of being religious. Oh boy, we live in a society that stands back and claps you if you're religious. You wear the, the back to front collar, you wear you, you, you get dressed up like a mother and get called a father, they'll cheer you on. You have candles and bells and smells and people will go, wow, you must really be spiritual, when in fact you could be dead to the core of your soul. We're not interested in looking religious to please society. We want to know God. And this is the prophet's cry. The people of Israel in this day had a dead religion and dead religion is false religion and you must repent. Let's have none of this mumbo jumbo that Muslims and Christians worship the same God. What a load of bunk. Our God is the one true God who gave his son to die on the cross. And Islam says, if you believe that, you're an infidel, a sinner worthy of death. Doesn't sound like the same religion to me. 
Let's have none of this nonsense that any religion will get you to God. Let's have none of this nonsense that when Jesus died on the cross, all people were automatically saved anyway. They can express their worship to God by calling him whatever they want. Rubbish. Rubbish. It matters that people need to hear Jesus. It matters. Jesus said the road to life is straight, not straight as in straight, but straight, like bass straight. It's constrained. It's very narrow. Why? Because there's only one person we have to follow, not 10 million gods or 34 million gods, I think there is in Hinduism. There's one God. You follow in the steps of one man, Jesus Christ. The way to life is straight and narrow and few there will be that find it. And if you might think, well, I can't believe God would condemn anyone to hell simply because they didn't become a Christian. Well, I don't, think they'll con- I don't think God will condemn anyone to hell because they didn't become a Christian. I think God will condemn people to hell because they are rebellious sinners who would not surrender to him. And the only way we can surrender to him is through Jesus Christ, which, by the way, makes you a Christian. But here's the point. Remember Noah? Remember the flood? God called the whole world to repent and only eight people did. And the rest of the world paid the price. Don't tell me our God is a domesticated God. He is a God who means business. If you're harboring sin in your life, I want to hear none of this trifling nonsense that God doesn't care. Repent. False religion. Secondly, hypocrisy hypocrisy i'm sure there's a degree of hypocrisy in my life but i want to be upfront about it i don't want it there and i don't want us as a church to be hypocritical one day i did hear after the church after the service i i'd already gone home and and um some people came ripping out of the car park nearly collided with our neighbors coming down their driveway and there was heated words exchange and i've got to tell you that doesn't put our church in a good light praise the lord this is good preaching andrew hallelujah hypocrisy greed this is just a general heading greed i'm greedy i am i want more i do but there's a greed that says i can't see you i'm not sensitive to you I don't care what your needs are. I don't care what the needs of anyone is. I just want what I want and I don't care about anyone else. And that's where Israel was at. They didn't care for the poor. They didn't care for those who were being oppressed. They didn't care for people of other nations. That's what it says in verse 2. Israel was called to be a light to the nations. But their Under this category, greed, all they saw was what they wanted. They just wanted their needs met, their wants met. Greed. I need to repent. We need to repent. Immorality. The prophet has said in in chapter 3 that the priests and the leaders were committing rampant sexual immorality. Today... We live in a society where you're given words of admiration if you do this. (laughs) What a hottie. 
What a stud. And the heart of God is broken. Because sex is not a plaything. Sex is meant to be a wedding gift. It is God's wedding gift to a married couple because it is the glue that holds a husband and wife together. It is the glue that binds the soul of a man with a woman. It is meant to reflect that God the Father, Son and Holy Spirit are one in union. And God has said, how can we show mankind what it is like? The gift of sex. And it requires a covenant agreement of commitment for life. And outside of that, Proverbs 25 says, a person without self-control, sexual self-control, is like a city with broken down walls. Your soul is like a city with broken down walls if you are sexually immoral. This matters. It matters to the glory of God the prophet says in verse 2, and in him they shall glory. This is about the glory of God. The prophet is calling Israel to repent. Today we can look at this and ask ourselves, God, or perhaps ask God, do I need to repent? And really of all people, we should lead the way in knowing how to repent. Psalm 51, if you read Psalm 51 and you read where in that psalm it says, and then sinners will be converted to you. The and then sinners will be converted to you is after the psalmist himself has repented. He's acknowledging his guilt. He's acknowledging his sin. He's asking God to forgive him. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Cleanse me and I will be made new. Then sinners will will be converted to you. I want my heart to ache for the lost. I want my heart to be so open to God that he just has to sigh disappointment. And I go, God, did I I do something? Father, what is it? I don't want to live like this. I want to please you. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to be so caught up in my own needs that I'm so greedy. I I have no heart for missions. I have no heart for evangelism. God, I'm sorry. Give me that heart. Keith Green wrote a song when he was in this condition. He wrote it when he's about 26 years of age. He said, my eyes are dry. My heart is cold. And he sang this song of repentance to God. And he said, God, I want to feel what you feel. Well, I want that in my life. And I want that for us as a church. Of anybody who knows how to repent, it should be us. We, the people of God, should know how to repent. This is what we've seen in verse 2. Verse 3 says this, For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up the fallow ground, so not among thorns. This is a, a, an, an, obviously a picture of, of land that's gone fallow. Land that's gone fallow was where the farmer says, Look, there's one or two weeds in there. The best way to get rid of the weeds is just to let them all grow. We're just going to leave that for, for a few months, just let it all grow, and we just plough the whole lot up. And that's what the prophet's saying. He's saying your ground, the ground of your heart right now, is fallow. There's weeds and there's stuff in there. There's thistles and thorns and stuff. The only thing we can do now, we can't go in and pull everyone out. we just got to take the plough through this thing. We've got to break up the fallow ground. Break it up. 
You know, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, God, this isn't just a call for people to be saved. This is a call for your people to walk with you. This is a call for us as we've been on this journey 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years to still say, God, I don't want sin in my life to get the grip. Sure, we all sin and we need to acknowledge that. But some of us, some of us can make sin our God. Every year of my life, even on my wedding night and honeymoon, I've watched Wimbledon. Kim threatened me in our honeymoon because we got married in June and Wimbledon's usually around June, July. And she said, if you start and watch that stupid tournament, don't you come whinging to me tomorrow when you're not going to get any sleep through the day because we're on our honeymoon. And we were at Expo in Brisbane. And that's another story I'll tell you about another day. But anyway, this year I haven't watched... I haven't watched hardly any of Wimbledon. I'm going to tonight, but I haven't watched <laughs> any of Wimbledon. And there, are, there have been other times when I've thought, I don't want anything to be an idol in my life. I, I fasted chocolate because I thought that just got too big a place in my life. I have fast. I, I am prepared to fast Brussels sprouts. I am prepared... <laughs> Kim, just take note of that. I really feel a bond with Brussels. Just cut them out for the next six months. Anyway, <laughs> uh, She's not buying it. Verse 4. We, we come to verse 4 having seen what we've seen in verse 2 about all the nations. All the nations. See, the, see, Israel had become just all the nations can go to hell as far as we're concerned. That's strong language, but that's, that, that probably understates their attitude about it. You just got to read the prophet uh, Jonah to catch some of their attitude at this time. And yet God had called them. We, we read in Isaiah 61 and Genesis, uh, the promise to Abraham, I will bless you. And in you, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. There is an all nations thing to the heart of God. And all the nations were meant to experience who God was through Israel. God has ordained that he be revealed to the world through his people. And today that's us. He's ordained that. That's the way God chooses to make himself known. So, we come to verse 4. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts. I want you to notice this. This is not talking to women. This verse is talking to men. The men were the leaders in Israel at the time, Judah. The men were the priests. The men were the kings. The men were the ones culpable for sin. In a house, the man is called to lead. Husbands, you are called to be the priest of your home, the provider and the protector, but the priest. 
the priest, the one who intercedes, the one who sets the spiritual tone in your home. Here the prophet Jeremiah in this verse that we're going to close with here is talking to men. O men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, he said, circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts, lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. Doesn't sound like a tame God to me. And I know that there are people that are going to say, well, that's how God was under the old covenant. No, I actually think that's how God is. I just think this is God. (laughs) This is God. This is a God who still requires our hearts to belong to him. So here's the question. Does God have your heart? We say when we invite people to turn to Jesus, give your heart to Jesus. Well, have you? Did you take it back? Does he still have it? I think we should all pray a prayer. God, take my heart, but more importantly, God, give me your heart. Give me your heart. And we should be praying for God to break up the fallow ground, all those weeds that get into our lives, those weeds of attitude, those idols that we set up. We set up hurt as an idol. You ever met anybody who set up their hurt as an idol? Oh, well, uh, you know, I, 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 I kind of hold back from serving God now because in that last church they hurt me. Well, if you're, whatever you're focused on is your God. you focused on that? When we worship, the whole point is to refocus on God. We should be focusing on God. We should be, I think the song was, running to him so that his fame will spread through our lives to the nations. Does God have your heart? And here's the question. Have you repented? Have you done business with God? Do you do, you do this? Do you, do you, is, it, is, it where is your heart so sensitive? Here's the prophet saying, remove the, the callus of your heart. Well, it's the calluses of my heels that keep you know, shoes comfortable. Imagine pulling back the calluses on your hands and whatever, so that your skin is sensitive to touch. He's saying that's how your heart should be toward God. That sensitive. Church, that's where I want to be and I hope that's where you want to be as well. The prophet Jeremiah was challenging the people in these four verses. Turn to God. Make his opinion the most important opinion in your life let's pray father we want to be a people who are sensitive to you who have a heart that is open to you soft towards you sensitive to you we want to have circumcised hearts now father if there is anyone here who is perhaps battling secret sin perhaps they're battling in an in an area where they have been putting up all kinds of masks and all kinds of walls and they don't want people to get in too close perhaps they've turned hurt into an idol perhaps they've turned food into an idol perhaps they've turned pornography into an idol perhaps they've turned money into an idol lord there's so many idols that can grip our lives father i call you to gift us with the grace of repentance now help us all to repent father i want to be found clean before you right before you because of jesus 
Now, if you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ, you've never surrendered, you've never said, Jesus, take my life. Take my life. I want to, I want to spend eternity with you. I can now see that you are infinite love. And your infinite love toward me cares so much that you value my decisions. And I decide, I choose right now to give my life to you for all eternity. You pray a prayer like that. God hears. God sees. But perhaps you're here today as well and you're a believer and you've allowed thorns and thistles to come into the ground of your heart. Repent. Repent. Father, I pray that you would grant the gift of repentance to each of us, that we would walk not in condemnation, not in, not in the kind of guilt that comes from artificial means, but, Father, that, that kind of constructive, healthy correction that the Holy Spirit wants to bring to our lives. Father, have your way in us, I pray in Jesus' name. Israel didn't have the monopoly on hypocrisy or greed or immorality. Have you repented of the sin in your life? Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, Jeremiah Session 9, are available from Lagana Media. You can contact us at P.O. Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277, or via the website findingtruthmatters.org. If you'd like to subscribe to the monthly e-newsletter Perspectives, visit findingtruthmatters.org and click subscribe. Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.